become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the Brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to NeuroMatters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. We've talked in recent weeks about different facets of long-term care. Last week, we talked about the training and staffing of long-term care organizations and different types of long-term care settings, novel approaches to housing for individuals who have cognitive impairments. Today, we are going to be talking to another noted professional, Michelle Webb, who is the Director of Dementia Care Services for Pruitt Health. Michelle has been an advocate for issues which relate to caring for our older citizens for many years. She has been involved in public education and in training of healthcare specialists of different professional backgrounds. She has an excellent understanding of both the administrative aspects of care and the clinical components of a good system of caring. She has a heart for older Americans. So grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and have a seat. Let's have a discussion with Michelle about Alzheimer's and dementia, a disease you want to know about. I hope this program helps you to know more about it. Michelle Webb, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Dr. Brinkman. I'm so happy to join you this afternoon. You live in beautiful North Carolina, where, as I understand it, one seldom has to dig herself out of the snow in the wintertime. Is that correct? (laughs) That is absolutely true, except for this winter. (laughs) But uh, I tell you, we, we, we love it here. Charlotte is a wonderful city, and I'm just, I'm really blessed to be here. You know, when I first met you, you were um, the owner of Rehab Dimensions, and now you've taken this position with Pruitt Health. Let's talk about your background. Um, you are trained uh, initially as an occupational therapist, if I remember right. That's correct, Dr. Brinkman. I'm actually an occupational therapist by background. I started my career uh, or my education in um, 1991. I actually was an occupational therapy assistant and uh, found that I I so enjoyed the field that I decided to go back to school, and I became an occupational therapist. I did that in 1996, and uh, I'm still such an advocate for occupational therapy. I'd just like to tell your your listeners a little bit about OT, because sometimes there's a little confusion about that background and and what occupational therapy means. Yes, an, an occupational therapist uh, is, a, is a professional, is a rehabilitation professional that will work with people or patients that have 
neurological impairments that have orthopedic conditions. Uh, so people who've had strokes or people who have fractured their hips or had um, hip or knee replacements. And what you'll find that occupational therapist is doing is really working on improving a person's what we call activities of daily living status. So if that person has had a stroke or had, has had some kind of orthopedic injury, the occupational therapist is going to work on improving their bathing, improving their dressing, improving their mobility so that they can go back to living the life that they were living. And uh, I love occupational therapy. We often say that our, our profession promotes daily skills for the job of living. And, and I take that to heart. So occupational therapy, um, I think, is, is a wonderful field. We certainly have a great respect um, and regard for our sister professions, which are physical therapy and speech-language pathology. But again, occupational therapy is, is really a field of its own, and I'm, and I'm very, very proud to be uh, a member of, uh, of that community. Uh, I can also, tell. <laughs> yeah, yes, and I'm very excited, very excited about it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just a great field that I would encourage anyone who's, who's looking into healthcare and is not exactly sure what to do to take a look at occupational therapy. Well, thank you for that good, good and thorough description. Occupational therapy fits in a lot of different settings rehab hospital, acute medical surgical hospital, et cetera. What types of settings have you worked in? Oh, I've worked in uh, predominantly, and I'm very proud to say, predominantly long term care. I started off uh, very early on in uh, 1989, as a matter of fact, working um, in a skilled nursing facility. And I was doing that as I was going through school. And I, I just gravitated to our, our senior population. Uh, I just knew really almost immediately that that's where I wanted to be. Um, education has also been a big part of my background. I've been um, an instructor. I've taught uh, medical office assistants. I've taught... I've taught uh, healthcare professionals in the field, administrators, therapists, nurses, uh, activity press personnel. But I, I, so I, I, but I've always come back. I really have just stayed with the, the senior population. I think they're just nearest and dearest to my heart. And uh, I just love learning how to service our seniors, how to give them the best care that we can. And in working with our senior population, I became very interested in residents who had dementia or, or Alzheimer's disease. Um, I just found it very interesting that I, I, I wanted to do the best I could at that time to provide the physical, the physical aspects of the therapy that they required. But it was, it was somewhat difficult because uh, when, you're, when you're working with someone who has dementia or Alzheimer's disease, you really have to develop that relationship. You have to build that trust first and foremost. And then you proceed with the physical rehabilitation. And I learned that lesson very early on and very quickly. And I've just been an advocate for people with dementia ever since. Well, I really appreciate your enthusiasm and every discussion that we've had over the years. You have had that same enthusiasm and commitment. Michelle, I have to tell you a funny story, by the way. You uh, uh, were, for several years, I know that you were traveling all around the midsection of the country doing training for uh, long-term care 
professionals of various backgrounds. And um, you are, of course, very familiar with the gray matter system that we developed. And um, this is the screening system to determine whether somebody is developing memory difficulties. So someone from my little town here was attending one of your programs, and I don't remember where it was, and texted me and said, there's a woman here talking about gray matters like she knows a lot about it. Do you know her? Oh, <laughs> and, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, is her name Michelle? <laughs> and uh, they texted, yes, it was. And so uh, <laughs> you got oh, a, a you had a good follower there. You know, when I was traveling in that in that area, I just I I, I traveled uh, to Texas and to areas in, in the Southwest pretty frequently, and um, and I've just always been and you know this I've always been a big fan of yours and and a big fan of of what you're doing for our senior population. So when I had the opportunity to talk about um, various assessments and and things that we needed to do for our seniors. You know, you just came to mind. You were right there in the forefront of my of my thought process. So thank you, you are for so kind. That. Well, I guess it was a natural with an occupational therapy background that you would move into the area of dementia care. You know, OT, as you know, as uh, well as anyone, has um, paid increasing attention to how to help people compensate for and remediate the cognitive changes that occur with strokes and head injuries and many other neurological conditions. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's very interesting, Dr. Brinkman, that occupational therapy uh, is grounded in, in really it's in two subsets, the physical component of rehabilitation, but also the psychiatric component. And there are, and I can remember early on in my career that many occupational therapists were working in uh, mental health uh, sections of the country working uh-huh. in adult day programs or, or social, we used to call them social clubs, um, and really started branching off into our, our, the, the psychiatric um, division of the field. I, I have noticed that, that these, in our current time, I think occupational therapists are really gravitating towards uh, people who have dementia. I think just innately because of our training, um, we do have a, an understanding of cognition. And we understand how we need to address that in addition to the physical needs of our patients. And, of course, there is such a great need in that area. Well, tell me now about your position with Pruitt Health. Yes, I, I'm very excited about this. Uh, Pruitt Health, uh, and, and some of your listeners may not be familiar with that name because we really just changed the name of our organization um, within the last few months. We were formerly known as UHS. Pruitt Corporation, and uh, our CEO um, really decided that he wanted the name to better reflect all of the services that we encompass, and so Pruitt Health just kind of made sense. Uh, We are a company that offers really a a continuum of care, which is, is, I think, pretty unusual, Uh, and in a a good sense, it, it helps people to be able to kind of age in place, to stay in place. Our company offers home health services. We offer rehabilitation, skilled nursing services, end-of-life care, uh, pharmacy care. We offer quite a bit, um, all in one, really housed under one company, under one umbrella. 
So we've been in business for well over 40 years. Uh, this, this company is grounded in the southeast and uh, tends to service uh, residents and patients within the North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida geographic locations. But uh, again, I, I'm very excited to be in this role um, of Director of Dementia Care Services. It, it's a fairly new role for our company. Uh, our CEO has really um, understood and, and taken on um, an advocacy role. He's, you know, he's decided that this is such a specialized population that we want to have someone to be able to bring the evidence-based practice, the evidence-based research to the company so that, and that's in support of providing quality care for our seniors. Well, that is excellent. And as the director of Dementia Care Services, you wear a lot of different hats. You're an educator and a trainer. You're an administrator. You have quality control responsibilities. What all does that job entail? Oh, it's, it's very interesting. What we're doing right now, and and I always like to say, you know, my, my company was providing quality services before I came along. I, I always like to say that because I believe that. I've actually worked with this company for three years in other roles, so I can attest to that. But what we're doing now is really formalizing our programs. We really want to look at what the research is telling us about uh what we call behavioral management. I, I really don't like to use that term, but that's kind of the term that's being used right now in the long-term care in- industry. But we're trying to determine and trying to find the best non-pharmacological approaches to care. And that involves a lot of caregiver training. That involves a lot of education with our direct line to caregivers um, who are in our facilities to give them ways and strategies to, to make sure that the environment is, is set up appropriately for residents to have, to have dementia, to make sure that they can thrive in that environment, to, to modify their approaches when they need to, uh, as to not uh, upset our residents or to, um, to heighten some of the agitation and, and fear that we sometimes see with residents who have dementia. So that's what we're doing. We're, we really are looking at all of our approaches and trying to use those medications, that, those antipsychotic medications, which um, have been notorious throughout long-term care um, through our industry. We're really trying to lessen that, trying to, to lessen the reliance on that and look at more of the behavioral approaches to care. When we come back after our break, Michelle, I look forward to hearing a lot more detail from you about that. We are going to break now, and we will be back in three. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. 
The Gray Matter System provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Thank you for staying with us. We are talking with Michelle Webb, the Director of Dementia Care Services for Pruitt Health. And, uh, Michelle, the question that I would like to um, give to you is this. What is it about dementia that makes long-term care more challenging, that requires special training, special organization for care? You know, that's an excellent question, Dr. Bergman, and, and it is somewhat challenging. I, I think one of the things that, that causes, uh, causes some, some a little stress or angst is the fact that in long-term care, we have to work a delicate balance between maintaining an environment that is really conducive for our residents, that really works for them, but yet and still uh, maintaining our regulatory standards. Um, and, and we are still in a system that is, an, I, I believe, an institutional system. And, I, and that is a difficult balance sometimes. But, but I will say this. Uh, I've been in healthcare over 20 years, and, and I can say within the last five, six, seven years, I have seen the industry starting to make a turn, a positive turn. Uh, our, our largest regulatory body for our long-term care, for our long-term care facilities, and it really doesn't matter what company you work for. If you're in long-term care itself, you're probably um, looking at or dealing with regulations from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. CMS. Uh-huh. And, yeah, and one of the things that I'm starting to see CMS do 
is to recognize and promote patient-centered care. Um, I know that we've, we've heard that term before and we've talked about it before, but I will say I feel that where we are right now, here in 2014, CMS is making a turn, and, and it's positive. Um, one of the things that they've done as far as helping with some training needs in the long-term care industry is uh, in 2002, CMS developed a, a wonderful resource. It's a toolkit that they call the hand-in-hand dementia training. And I remember first being introduced to this, to this very large toolkit um, that was sent to all of the nursing homes throughout the country. So it didn't matter what company you worked for. If you were a licensed long-term care operator, you received this manual in 2002. And the training manual is comprised of six modules. Four modules uh, focus on communicating with the person who has dementia and understanding the disease of dementia. The other two modules help to uh, discuss identification and prevention of abuse. CMS gave this manual out in 2002 free of charge, and I thought that that really set the tone, set a positive tone for for us to realize and understand that CMS is is looking and promoting patient-centered care. Um, And something that they've done even more recently, um, last quarter of 2013, another toolkit was produced and launched by CMS. And that toolkit is entitled Promoting Positive Behavioral Health. It's uh, basically a non-pharmacologic toolkit that, that promotes positive caregiver approach. It discusses crisis response techniques. It, it shows you how to do a thorough assessment of behavioral expression. And then to develop and devise a patient-centered plan of care. So CMS is helping us. I, I, I really believe that their heart is in the right place, and they want us to provide that patient-centered care, and they're starting to give us the tool sets to do that. You know, uh, as you pointed out, CMS uh, stands for Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and they established the policy for uh, services under these two large payer groups around the country. And I um, have thought many times that the Medicare system is really a very excellent health care system for acute care. But most of the health care dollars are spent, the overwhelming majority are spent on chronic care. And so right. CMS is uh, taking these steps and, and other novel approaches to try to uh, catch up with that transition to where chronic care is, has become so expensive and has become so critically important. You mentioned communication. Yeah. What do you teach your staff about how to communicate with persons that have dementia? Yeah, wonderful question, Dr. Brinkman. One of the things that we're we're doing and we're looking at is an evidence-based approach to caring for residents who have dementia. I believe I, I'm a big proponent, as I know you are, of the Alzheimer's Association. And the Alzheimer's Association promotes what they call the CARES model. And I, I love this model because it, it's an acronym for uh, number one, connecting and communicating with our patients. Really getting to know who they are before we deliver any kind of care to our resident, whether that be bathing, dressing, assistance with feeding, um, mobility. Before we do those things, the first 
thing we need to do as healthcare professionals is connect with our patients. That involves knowing who they are, knowing their past history, knowing their likes and dislikes, their preferences. Um, If we can set that groundwork first, it helps to provide quality care for our residents. So that's a a big proponent of the model, a big component, I should say, of the model. Uh, The A in the CARES acronym stands for Assessing Behavior. Dr. Brinson, I love that the Alzheimer's Association is really trying to move away from saying a person has behavior. You know, behavior, unfortunately, has a negative connotation. If if we hear someone has a behavior, we we tend to think, what is that? Is it wandering? Is it courting? Is it rummaging? Those That's words. that unique terminology, Michelle, that uh, yeah. that develops inside the profession because in reality, everybody has behavior of some sort, but in that context, it does have a negative connotation. It does. It does. And we're, and we're trying to move away from that because you are absolutely right. Those, those behaviors and quotations are things that we normally do, that all of us do. So it, it shouldn't have a negative attachment just because the resident has dementia. So the Alzheimer's Association is really looking for us to, to change our verbiage, to, to use the terminology such as behavioral expression or actions or reactions. And I'm, and I'm really a proponent of that. I, I want to change that stigma. So the, the, the A of the CARES model is to assess the behavioral expression. Look at what your resident is doing. Why are they, if they are hitting or if they have anxiety, they're angry, trying to really determine the cause of that, not just treating the symptoms, but determining what was the trigger. So that's the A in the CARES acronym. The R I have a is, feeling we're coming to the R now. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> the R is to respond appropriately. And that's where we do a lot of training, Dr. Princeton, with caregivers, is to make sure that our response to what we're seeing doesn't cause any further angst or anxiety for our residents. So we have to have a calm, pleasant demeanor, an understanding. You know, and it's always important to be empathetic and sympathetic to people who have dementia. I had a, a peer of mine who just very recently said she heard a quote or a saying that, Residents who have dementia aren't giving us a hard time. They're having a hard time. And I love that quote. You know, it it really kind of centers you back to to looking at the needs of this person and understanding that it's the disease that's causing some of the things that we see. The Mm -hmm. E is evaluating what works and also what doesn't work. And the S in that CARES model or approach is sharing that information with others on your team. So I think that's one of the ways that we're trying to better communicate with residents who have dementia is by using that CARES model to identify triggers, to identify needs, and then to to treat appropriately. You know, um, you, you are uh, very wise to point these things out. And in fact, a lot of our communications with others is nonverbal in nature. We tend to think about communication being the exchange of words, but there is a lot of nonverbal communication as well. Uh, 
voice volume, rate of speech flow, posturing, facial expression, and on and on. Um, Michelle, I've had someone send in a question. This is from Ohio, which I think um, has the third largest group of listeners for this program right now. And the question is, um, can you clarify acute care versus chronic care, uh, the distinction between those two? Would you address that? Absolutely. Uh, when, we think, when we tend to think of acute care, we're thinking of something, an immediate need, an immediate crisis, something that's happened so acutely that you're, you find yourself or, or a loved one finds themselves in the hospital. A chronic condition is something that really happens over time. Uh, chronic conditions can be categorized, uh, for example, uh, arthritis, uh, a, a dementia. Dementia is progressive over time. Uh, it doesn't happen quickly. Uh, well, I know there are some forms of dementia, I shouldn't say that, that have a quicker onset, but for, but for Alzheimer's disease, it's a chronic condition. It's just something that's going to worsen over time. So I, I hope that helps you, your, your listener, to identify the difference between acute and chronic conditions. Thank you, Michelle. We are going to go to a break, and uh, we will be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matter System provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. 
And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for staying with us. And we are here receiving the benefit of Michelle Webb's experiences and training and wisdom and knowledge in the area of dementia care. Michelle, we've used a couple of terms here, behavior management or what uh, what might be referred by some as problem behaviors or just having behaviors with the negative connotation of that. And you mentioned the uh, CMS toolkit promoting positive behavioral health. You know, so often when we talk about um, the behavior that um, someone is presenting, we really are talking about how do we get rid of that behavior? How do we make them not do that anymore? But when we talk about promoting positive behavioral health, we're actually talking about training a way for the person to handle the same situation in a better, more positive way. Talk with me about environmental things that are done, other types of things that are done to help manage some of the difficulties that patients have. Absolutely, Dr. Brinkman. I think one of the big things in any long-term care company or setting, I think one of the biggest challenges we find in facilities that we have is noise. The environment itself, you have a lot of residents sometimes, you have a lot of caregivers, family members are there, volunteers are coming in. Uh, there are just many, many people, and, and when you have the many people in, in a smaller environment, the noise levels just tend to naturally rise. and But unfortunately, with some of our residents with dementia, that increased noise, that increased um, distraction of, of hearing all of these things can cause some of the behavioral expressions that we see, like um, trying to leave, trying to egress um, the facility, um, maybe maybe hitting out or, or pacing, just, again, trying to, to relieve some of that stress that that person is feeling from those, those noise levels. So some of the, the positive things that you can do is, you know, to try to de- diminish some of that is to bring the resident as best you can into a calmer environment. You might need to take that person to a room that's not being used or uh, back to their room to allow them just a little bit of a, a break from that. Um, that's a patient-centered approach. It's, it's looking at what's what's happening with your resident and really trying to determine how can I best service this person. I want to make sure that this person is is not in angst, not, not uh, having a lot of anxiety related to what we're doing. So that's one of the things. You know, another thing I, I think I, I tend to see a lot of in long-term care and, and facilities is uh, disrobing, you know, and when we see a behavior like that, a behavioral expression like that, you know, what, what do we as caregivers do? Uh, one of the things, you know, that we try to teach is, you know, trying to determine the trigger for something like that, for, for taking off one's clothes. Is it because the environment or the room or the temperature is just too hot? Is it because that that person needs to go to the restroom? Is it because the clothing is too tight or just uncomfortable? What is it that's causing the person to do that? So when you are in long-term care, you, you really have to put on a detective hat and determine what is the trigger so that you don't... Uh, you know, you don't want to come and approach, approach the resident in a way that makes them feel bad or makes them feel guilty for the behavior. You, you, you just can't do that. You have to find what's triggering the behavior. 
And then and, and that's where CARES comes in then, understand who this person is, uh, what their life history has been, Correct. evaluate or assess what they're doing, right? Correct. Uh, res- respond appropriately, uh, figure out or evaluate what works and what doesn't work, and go from there So um, and share the solution with each other. That's okay. a, a, a very excellent description. Absolutely, and I and I just love that model, Doctor Brinson. It, it, to me, it just makes sense to, tr- to to look and assess at a situation. Um, again, our residents are, are doing the best they can, and and we have to again adapt the environment for that. Um, sometimes the lighting in in our in nursing homes. Sometimes you know we we find it on both ends of the stru- the, the spectrum. It may be that we have so many fluorescent lights throughout the building that that could cause glare on the floor, and our residents can become a, a little um, unsteady. They could have our residents with dementia tend to have visual spatial uh, difficulties. So, if in fact, the visual bright, v- visual yeah. confusion alone leads to so many potential problems. I know, yeah, Michelle. I've had another question sent in for you. You're a popular girl. <laughs> what are the differences required from staff for a regular nursing home setting versus a uh, specialty dementia care setting? Oh, wonderful question. Uh, it, it is very interesting, Dr. Brinkman, that the standards that we tend to look at come from the assisted living environment. Assisted living, gives, believe it or not, gives long-term care a lot of standards that are that uh, that we base our our training needs and our staffing needs upon. So uh, the National uh, Coalition for Assisted Living, I believe, at the NCAL, um, had released just two years ago, uh, basically a study regarding um, staffing patterns and educational requirements for people um, working in assisted living facilities. And what was very interesting about that study, they looked at, or the release of that information, they looked at all 50 states in the U.S., and it was, it was really kind of all over the map in relation to how much training was required. Some states really don't have any specifics that, uh, related to training needs for, for providing care for residents that have dementia. Some, some states may, ha- may say something like an eight-hour training is provided. Some states have a 20-hour requirement. The most stringent requirement um, that I noted from that, from that release of information was California, which is a state that requires over 40 hours of training for staff that are working um, in dementia care units. So to answer your listener's question, it really is kind of all over the map. Uh, most of the regulations state that you must provide training. and It's kind of vague usually in, in some of the statutes, but it says that you must provide enough training to meet the needs of the resident. So, and there have, is obviously a lot of latitude in what that training would involve. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have to make that determination within your own company, within your own facility uh, many times the training that you're going to provide. There's always a, a, a usually in long-term care, there's a minimal standard for our direct line caregivers. They will be required to have so many hours of training. But I think the field needs to move in a direction that we clarify that for the field. What exactly do we need? Sometimes those vague statutes just aren't enough. 
Well, Michelle, let's come back to some of the other difficulties that uh, may present. Um, some uh, residents will become very resistant, for example, to showering or bathing or, or otherwise maintaining their hygiene. For others, it may be an issue of wandering. For others, it may be an unwillingness or a lack of desire to eat. Could you comment on other similar behavioral areas? I think this is very informative. Oh, absolutely, Dr. Blankton. You know, the first one that you brought up, bathing, is probably one of the the most difficult things that our residents with dementia have to endure. Um, the thought of being disrobed, uh, and you can just imagine if you put yourself in the place of that resident who may not recognize the caregiver, uh, even though the caregiver worked with them yesterday, today is a new day. They may not recognize that person, and, and here that person comes really trying to provide a good thing for this resident. They want to make sure that, that they have good hygiene and that they're clean. The direct caregiver is, is there to do that. But the resident could perceive that as just someone trying to undress me. And, and the angst and the anxiety that comes with that just is, is just terrible. So one of the things that I recommend for people when, when encountering or when get, getting ready to deliver that type of care is to prep your, your resident, prep your loved one. Let them know that something is getting ready to happen. Use the senses. Sensory input tends to stay for, for quite some time with residents who have dementia. So let them smell uh, a bar of soap. Let them smell an aftershave or a cologne that's familiar to them. Let them hold a warm towel or a warm robe. Those kinds of sensory triggers can let that resident know that something's getting ready to happen. I, I might not know exactly that it's the bath, but these things are somewhat familiar to me. And once we start that process of disrobing, you might find that it's a little easier to do. Very good. Very good advice. I really appreciate that. Um, we have talked just briefly about psychotropic medications. These are medications that are specifically developed, specifically prescribed to change someone's psychological functioning. And there are a number of different kinds in this category. And what I would like to do is just run through the categories real quick, Michelle, and then uh, have you comment, uh, comment on ways that uh, uh, the use of these medications can be decreased or avoided. Uh, one category, obviously, is a sleep medication. Uh, there are lots of different types of sleep medications. Some are helpful with sleep onset but not maintaining sleep real well through the night. Others are helpful with maintaining sleep. They have a longer half-life. They have the risk of accumulating um, and, uh, and developing ongoing drowsiness, increasing risk of fall, and things like that. So sleep medications. There are stimulant medications that are used as well. And if a patient consistently uh, seems to be drowsy, not alert, not very interactive during the day, often consideration is given to using stimulant medications. In addition to that, there would be anxiety medications, often with an intent of treating fear as if it were anxiety. In the context of visual confusion, for example, a patient becomes very fearful, but that's not the same as anxiety, and anti-anxiety medications may be used there. Antidepressant medications may be used, and then we have this other group that comes under the heading of the atypical antipsychotics. 
this class of medication is used for reducing uh, psychotic symptomatology such as uh, hallucinations, delusional thinking, but these medications also have a black box warning. In other words, a specific warning put out by FDA because of the risk that these medications present to older individuals in terms of drowsiness and falling, cardiac arrest, and things like that. So with that as a quick overview, Michelle, what are your thoughts? Yes. You know, the first, the first medication, Dr. Brinson, that you referenced, sleep meds. You know, I, I really believe that uh, there needs to be more, more research and more work done in the study of sleep and residents with dementia because... We see that in our field. We see that in the long-term care industry, that if our residents are, are restless and not sleeping well, it does tend to cause more anxiety, uh, more of the behavioral expressions that, that we tend to see, hitting out, striking out. We tend to see some of those things, and I really believe there is a direct correlation between the two. Uh, and Michelle, for, allow me to jump in here for just a second. We're going to go to a break, but I believe that um, that we are all a little bit more irritable when we're not uh, well rested, and that right. applies to this, these as well. Thank we you. are going to go to a break, Michelle, and we will be back in just a couple of minutes. Thank you. Your life, your health your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Caring for someone with autism can be full of challenges and triumphs. Wherever you are on your autism journey, we all benefit from good information and guidance. Join host Rob Haupt every week for a friendly show that will leave you inspired and informed. Tune in to Autism Spectrum Radio. Our guests include parents, advocates, and experts to discuss current experiences, treatments, and breakthroughs for those living with autism. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. 
That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Thank you for staying with us as we head into our last segment. During our break, I had a message sent to me, and I would like to read this to Michelle. It's a message for Michelle. Wonderful sharing brings tears when I hear about how very caring Michelle is for our elderly people with Alzheimer's disease. Please tell her thank you so much. Dr. Brinkman, thank you so much for sharing that. That, That's really what it's about. It's about getting this information out and helping caregivers and and helping our residents. We, We just want them to live the best lives they can live. So thank you for sharing that. You are very welcome. That's very sincere, and I can see that the listeners can see your heart through the program. Um, Michelle, we talked about the different classes of psychotropic medications, and, um, you know, prescribing a medication is so much easier than having to go through the CARES acronym that you laid out, connecting, assessing, responding appropriately, evaluating your response, sharing the information. Um, How does the Pruitt system um, minimize the use of these medications? Wonderful question, Dr. Brinkman. I think one of the things that we really try to do, again, is to look at as many of the non-pharmacologic interventions as we can. We really try to look at a person's history. We take, we certainly take their past history into account. We try to uh, have some natural approaches to care. And I'll give an example of that. Uh, with sleep, uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, some of the sleep medications that are out there and how they are sometimes prescribed for our seniors. And, and we know that sometimes prescribing those medications can lead to other things. They can lead to drowsiness, grogginess, which could unfortunately lead to, lead to a higher incidence of falls. So we know that medications have their place, but they shouldn't have, be the first and foremost uh, line of defense for treatment. Other things that we might do to promote sleep habits is to, number one, know a person's sleep history. Uh, how did that person sleep at home? Did they sleep in the evening? Did they sleep during the day? Someone who's worked the day, worked in the night shift all of their life is probably not going to want to sleep uh, from 11 to 7. That might be the time that they're up. And if they are up at that time, a patient-centered approach is to allow that person to be up, allow that person to be engaged in activity and not force them to sleep. That's okay. That's a patient-centered approach to care. Another thing that we might do is promote um, the senses, triggering the senses, and particularly the olfactory or the sense of smell. Chamomile and lavender are some of those scents that are very calming to the body. So we might offer a, a sachet or some scented oil that can help that person to relax. Um, Sometimes a warm drink before bedtime is very soothing to our residents. So we're, we're going to look at all of those strategies. We're going to look at that patient's history, determine their likes, their dislikes, um, their sleep history, their sleep patterns, and then try to promote that naturally within our facility. 
you know, I have a friend who has been developing a business specifically for the purpose of um, inventing or developing products, mostly hygiene products, but other things as well, specifically for people with dementia because of their uh, sensory characteristics. And I have extracted a commitment from her to be on this program at some future date, and I will look forward to talking with my friend Pat about that. Oh, that's wonderful. That's why you know, and, and Dr. Martin, one more thing to add to that to is to far sleep. You know, another thing that, that we should encourage is um, caregivers to bring in things from home that provide comfort for for residents. Uh, a familiar blanket or quilt, something that's been washed in the laundry detergent that they've used, you know, all their lives. Those are the kinds of things that again can promote that that sense of calm. And if we can do that, if we can decrease the anxiety level, if we can increase uh, a calm environment, uh, that sometimes will help to, to promote sleep. And that's what we're looking to do. Michelle, I want to bring in now the concept of continuity of care. We've talked about that on a previous program as well. But basically, as you know, most forms of dementia, not every form, but most most forms of dementia are progressive disorders. The way that a person is one day is not necessarily the way that they will be six or 12 months later. Uh, as a result, a, a care system has to continuously adapt to the changes in the resident's abilities and limitations and and things like that. Now, when we look at the um, the the very creative approaches that you have been describing here, and we look at um, a an arrangement that does not have continuity of care, each time that a resident is transferred to another location or facility or community or whatever you want to call it, they seem to have to start over from scratch. In a system like this, discuss how helpful continuity of care is. You know, Dr. Brinkman, it it is critical. It is critical for our residents with dementia to have as much continuity as possible. And when we say that in long-term care, we're really talking about routine. We're talking about um, having a bath at the same time, eating, eating meals at the same time, trying to promote a sense of routine and structure for our residents does tend to help with, with decreasing anxiety. If I don't know what to expect and I don't know what's going on, I, I can only imagine how our residents would feel. So we try very hard to, to promote a routine for activity. Also, too, consistent caregivers are very, very important. And I know that in long-term care, that is a challenge. But one of the things that I really believe uh, can help our residents is seeing that same face as often as possible. Um, again, it promotes a sense of comfort, uh, a sense of, of developing a connection with someone. And so we Michelle, yes, thank you so much for the wisdom that you've shared with us and for the the passion that you've shared with us in your commitment to the um, individuals in this nation that have developed cognitive deficits and um, have a, a risk of um, developing a much lower quality of life. I'm so grateful to you for that. I'm so grateful, in fact, that I would like to send you a snow shovel, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't know that you would ever use it again living in North Carolina. 
<laughs> you know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, coming up, uh, coming up on March 11th, we have a program that's dedicated to advocacy efforts with respect to Alzheimer's disease. April 7th to 9th is the Alzheimer Association Advocacy Forum in Washington, D.C., and Michelle hopefully will be there. I intend to be there. And so this will be a program that will uh, give you a good understanding of what the association is wanting to accomplish on behalf of persons with Alzheimer's disease. March 18th, we have a brilliant, brilliant man who communicates complicated things so clearly. Dr. Maharvan Sunny Singh is is at the University of North Texas Health Sciences Center, and he is going to give us a research update. And then the week after that, Dr. Nancy Emerson Lombardo is going to discuss nutritional aspects of brain function and dementia. I know that you will enjoy these programs. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Um, Remember to download the podcast so so that you can listen to it uh, wherever you take your smartphone. I will look forward to talking with you next week. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.